I'm going to give it another shot with this new microphone. I'm having trouble with it sounding right. Uh, I apologize. So here's the intro to this week's podcast. Hey guys, welcome. This is Duh Weekly Podcast. And I'm glad to be back. Man, I'm glad you're listening. Thank you so much to those who listen. Hey, wherever you listen to podcasts, tell a friend, subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. Doesn't matter where you listen to. We're on every platform available. So how you, how's it going? How is everybody doing? This is one of the you know most trying times in everybody's life, I believe. I think some people are doing a little better. Some people are doing a little worse. Um, but man, you know, it, it, do you not appreciate things just a little bit more? And, and as human beings, we're, it's, we're so quick to just be complacent and get comfortable. And, you know, we, we really take for granted things that we shouldn't. Life is beautiful. This is life. This is the life we've been given. Yes, you can change. Yes, you can do things that make you happy. Yes, life is tough. Things happen. You you are hurt. Your heart is broken. Your soul aches. But at the end of the day, this is what we have. We've been given an opportunity that if you think about it, is so rare and unique that I compare it to the dice theory. You would have to have a million dice in your hands. Roll them all. And all of them land on a six in order for us to be able to, to, to sustain life on the planet like we do. We're just blessed. Try to find the good, and I know it's hard sometimes. But, man, I just appreciate it. I do. I appreciate the shit out of it. You know, I'm finding myself ha having a hard time telling stories these days. It's like true crime is, I mean, uh, it's a passion. I, I want to tell these stories you know, that, that I find, I don't want to say entertaining. Obviously, it's someone's tragedy. It's not my entertainment. But yet, we want to tell these stories and be entertaining to where it's where someone wants to listen and this story be told, you know. But, man, I'm just thankful. We're old school. We don't have, I, I love paper and pencil. You'll hear papers rattling. You'll hear, and it's just the way I like to do it. But we're going to talk about, a case back in 1980 in Jefferson County, Wisconsin. Um, it was in August, and there there's a couple of weddings going on at the uh, a place called the Concord House. Now, the Concord House was like a reception hall. It was used for tons of different things. And on this particular night, there was a two, two wedding receptions going on at this this place of business. Now, at some point in time through the night, a young gentleman by the name of Timothy Hack and his girlfriend, Kelly Drew, had been seen, they'd walked outside of the Concord house to get some air, maybe get a little alone time, you know how that is. Walked out and they, they were seen standing near uh, Timothy's vehicle that was parked in the parking lot. And then as the night wound down and people started to leave, you know, Timothy and, and Kelly were 19, so their parents didn't think much of it, Tim had drove, so he's thinking, you know, Tim will be home later, well, Tim or Kelly, they neither one show up, and so Tim's dad gets real concerned, and 
He heads back up to the Concord house and he sees that Tim's car is still sitting there. And man, he, his heart drops to the, the bottom of his stomach because he knows that something's wrong. And he's thinking to himself, please let something be wrong with the car. And he gets in the car and he's like, don't, don't start. Please don't start. But the car cranks over and there's nothing wrong with the vehicle. All their belongings are in the vehicle. Everything. The car's in running order. But there's no sign of Timothy Hack or Kelly Drew. This is The Weekly Podcast. So it's August of 1980. The families of Timothy Hack and Kelly Drew are going crazy. They can't find their loved ones. They're, they've put out flyers. That the police have searched the Concord House and the grounds around it. They've interviewed workers that worked at the Concord House. But, but here's the problem. There's two wedding receptions going on this night. And there's more than 200 people that were at the Concord House this night. So they're trying to find this young couple. And the police are having no luck whatsoever. Two months later, a passerby finds some personal items from Kelly Drew's purse strewn out along the roadway, which causes for great concern to the police and the, the families of both of these, these young, this young couple. Because the, the worst is, is, is in the back of their minds and it's coming to the forefront because they cannot find Timothy Hacker Kelly Drew. Now, unfortunately, some hunters were out hunting squirrels around the same time. And this is two months after they went missing in August of 1980. They come upon the decomposing body of a female. Signs of sexual assault woman was sexually assaulted the monster that done this 70 feet from this body was another body they knew right then that they had found Kelly Drew and Timothy Hack so they start collecting the evidence get the bodies to the medical examiner and they find out that Kelly Drew had been strangled and sexually assaulted there is semen that was found in her underwear. Timothy Hack had been stabbed. So it looks like maybe this predator is going after the female and just the male was just in his way. So he stabs the male to kill him first, the biggest threat, and then proceeds to have his way with the woman. And hopefully, and police and the authorities are hoping that they can solve this case and that they're really, really digging in and they're asking the, the right questions, but they're just not having any luck. Because in 1980, we know that science isn't what it is. It's not what it is today. But the wherewithal of these officers will pay off because evidence is collected. DNA is collected. They don't know that they're able to read it at this time. But the case grows cold. And how many times have you heard this? How many times has the case grown cold? In many cases. It just happens. It happened a lot back then. Just because... 
please come to a dead end. There's just nowhere else they can go with it. You know, and the families are asking, I mean, what? who could have done this? I mean, what type of person could have done this? And I'm sure the community was, was asking, you know, asking the same thing. Is there someone like this living amongst us? Is, does this animal live here with us? Is this somebody that I see at the grocery store? Or I see at the church? Or their kids go to school with my kids? This is what's going on in the community. And I guarantee the Concord House, yeah, they can chalk that shit. Who's wanting to have a wedding reception up there? The case goes cold. Life goes on. People start to forget. But the Drew and the Hack family never forgets. It never leaves them. Guess what? 30 years goes by. We'll be right back. Uh, just hold on. We'll, we'll keep going. 30 years goes by. There's a grant that's issued to Wisconsin's cold case unit. One of the first cases that are on the officers or the investigators list is Timothy Hack and Kelly Drew, named the Sweetheart Murders. Now, what's going to make this interesting is it was late spring 2009 when a, a young woman by the name of April Blasco, she had always had questions. And a few years before this, her and her siblings had, had sat down and wanted to ask questions because their childhood was odd. Not in a sense of odd as far as abuse, things like that. It was odd in the fact that their father always moved the family about every six months and it always correlated with uh, one of their homes burning down or, or things like that. Just odd things. So the siblings have sat down. They're like, you know, wonder if this, wonder if that. And, you know, they'd searched different towns that they'd lived in for cold cases because they started to suspect that maybe their father was hiding something all these years. Well, as April Blasco is looking through the internet, something pops up and it's basically saying that, oh, the, there's a grant issued to Wisconsin. They're going to be studying. They're going to take DNA. They're going to do this. They're able to do other things. And this 30-year-old case called the Sweetheart Murders in Watertown, Wisconsin. And April Blasco almost drops her coffee, her Danish, and everything else as she's sitting there kind of relaxing, looking through the internet because it hits her like a ton of bricks. She lived in Watertown, Jefferson County, Wisconsin. She keeps reading about the notorious sweetheart murders, an unsolved crime involving two local 19-year-olds, Timothy Hack and Kelly Drew, who had disappeared from a venue called the Concord House after a wedding reception in 1980. You know, two months after they went missing, their decomposed bodies were found in the woods. Hack had been stabbed in the back and chest. Kelly strangled and sexually assaulted. You know, the case would haunt the town and local law enforcement for, for 30 years. She was shaking. 
She was shaking. And boom. It's like a light switch. She started remembering everything. She recalled everything that her dad had worked as a handyman at the Concord House. And Hack and Drew had gone missing the same week her family had moved out of Watertown. And you know she's shaking at this point. Shaking. What does she do? What does she do? She does what she needs to do. She does what's right. She picks up the phone and she calls the authorities. She eventually, she gets in contact with the Detective Chad Garcia of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Now, he had been on the original case. Though Edwards had been interviewed, and Edwards, Ed Edwards, being April Blasco's father, at the time of the murders, because obviously he worked at the Concord House, After Garcia started looking closer at Edwards because of April's call, he realizes that Ed Edwards had left Wisconsin within a day of being interviewed. And then so Garcia starts to, he, everything starts to add up to Detective Garcia. So what have they got here? I'll tell you what they've got. They've got a 30-year-old case. They've got DNA that's been preserved. They've got a grant from the state of Wisconsin. They've got the DNA tested. Now they've got somebody that they can go and try to match this DNA to to see whose semen it is and it belongs to. Does it belong to Ed Edwards? Does it belong to Ed Edwards? We're going to find out. We'll be right back. So Detective Garcia needs to find Ed Edwards. He finds Ed Edwards. It's not hard to find. He's not hiding, but he doesn't live in Wisconsin. He doesn't live in Ohio. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky. And so it's within days of talking with April Blasco, Ed Edwards' daughter, that Detective Chad Garcia is on a flight to Louisville, Kentucky to confront Mr. Edwards. It's all casual at first. Starts to ask about a case in Wisconsin. You lived in Wisconsin, Mr. Edwards. Yes. Concord House. Oh, he thinks of it. Yes, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. He used to work there. Well, it finally gets around to the DNA. And this is going to be a real black and white, cut and dry. If his DNA matches, then he raped the girl. If he raped the girl, he stabbed, stabbed Drew, and he, cho he, he strangled Kelly Drew, and he stabbed Hack, Timothy Hack. Real simple. Need you a little your DNA, Mr. Edwards. Well, you know, I'm not going to be really giving you any of my DNA today. But guess what Mr. Detective Chad Garcia's got in his back pocket? Comes prepared, a subpoena will give the DNA. So he's forced to give the DNA. And it takes about two weeks to get the results back. And April Blasco got the phone call that her father's DNA had been a 100% match with the DNA found on the murder victims. You can imagine how she felt. So it brings up the question, who is Ed Edwards? 
To see what they didn't realize is what they had here was not just a man that maybe had lost his temper and stabbed a man and, and was a sexual deviant and had this one time. This was a man that lived the life of a monster. Who is Ed Edwards? Edward Wayne Edwards. Well, we know that in, he was an orphan. Lived in foster homes and lived in orphanage growing up, so he had a real sense of, of abandonment. We know in 55, by the age of 22, he's doing odd jobs, including working as a handyman, before turning to crime. He escapes from an Ohio jail after a burglary arrest. Uh, you know, he's caught and he spends about five years in jail. We know in 1961, he's arrested for turning in a false fire alarm. We know that Edward skips town to avoid jail and is added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. In January of 1962, he's finally captured in Atlanta. He spends five years in federal prison before being granted parole in 1967. In July of 1968, he marries schoolteacher Kay Hederly in Akron, Ohio, and they have five children, including the oldest daughter, April Blasco. Now, what Ed Edward does here is in 1972, he does something that no one sees coming, doesn't realize that this man is such a sociopath or uh, he's good because he writes a book in 1972. Seeming to have turned his life completely around. Ed, Edward Wayne Edwards writes a self-published memoir, The Metamorphosis of a Criminal, the true, true crime story of Ed Edwards. He also later tells his story on the game show back in the day to tell the truth. This man hits the circuit. He's on talk shows. He's on radio shows. He's doing well. The book does well. But it was a short-lived. Because the money starts to dry up. He starts looking for work. And he does work. He does take care of his family. He, he's a carpenter. He, he le learned skills to, of building. And was a, uh, was a hell of a carpenter. So, we know in the early 80s, he is in Ohio. And let's look here. I got, let's look at the, let's get my notes here. Show so, we know that uh, Ed Edwards, 1974, in this area, is living in Dolestown, Ohio. We know at this time, the home that he's in mysteriously burns down and they leave in the middle of the night. Now we know in between 74 and 77 he makes a couple trips to Florida. But we know in 77 he lands in Norton, Ohio. Now we know at this time and here's how we know this is because once Ed Edwards is in custody he wants the death penalty. He wants it to be over. So he starts telling crimes that he can get the death penalty. So here's where he starts. In 77, he starts in Norton, Ohio. He says that he kills William Lovico and Judith Straub. Now he's doing this because he thinks he can get the death penalty in Ohio. Because what's happened is he's been extradited back to Wisconsin. Does not want to be in Wisconsin. Wants the death penalty. Ohio will give it to him. But guess what, big guy? In 1977, the death penalty wasn't available in Ohio, 
So he just confessed to two murders that does him no good whatsoever. So he's pissed. But we'll get to that. We know that Billy Lovico was helping Ed Edwards do some repair work on a home that he had bought. Mr. Edwards. They were remodeling this home. And Ed seems to think that Billy Lovico has done something to one of his daughters, April, whoever. If that's not the case, there's no evidence of that. But what he does is, if you'll notice, he finds William Lovico and Judith Straub out at the bar. He waits on them to come out, catches them necking in off a little road, and kills them in 1977. So there's a pattern here. He definitely goes after couples, same as Timothy Hack, Kelly Drew, same as William Lovico and Judith Straub in 1977. So we know that he leaves there, and in 1980 is when he moves to Wisconsin, and when he commits the sweetheart murders of Timothy Hack and Kelly Drew. We know that he comes home that night of the street sweetheart murders. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. 1977, after he kills William Lovico and Judith Straub, the uh, house that they were working on mysteriously catches a fire, uh, and they leave town. So then when they move to Wisconsin, of course, then you've got the sweetheart murders of Timothy Hack and Kelly Drew. It's stated that the night of that murder, he comes home. He's got a busted, broken nose and a black eye. He tells his family that he got into a fight with someone. When police come to question him the next day because he is the handyman at the Concord House, he tells them it is in a hunting accident and uh, the gun hit his nose. Next, The next day, gone. Boom. Where'd they go to? Well, we believe in 1982 he shows up in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, where, after being there for about six or seven months, burns down the house by having his sons help him. But his sons end up telling on him, he gets in trouble, he goes to prison, and he's there until at least 1987. Now, we know in 87 he's in Cleveland, Ohio, in that area. And it seems that he kind of stays here for a little bit. There's a young man in the in the area, in the neighborhood. His name is Danny Boy, they call him. Well, he's he's he doesn't have family. Ed takes him in and raises him like his own. He even allows the boy to change his name to Danny Boy Edwards. Well, this boy needs help. He's not, you know, he, he looks to Ed for for everything. And the family takes him in as their own. He joins the army has an injury, but instead of getting his medical discharge, which he was getting ready to be medically discharged, he's on the phone talking to his dad, Ed Edwards. Two days later, he's going to be discharged. What does he tell him to do? Go AWOL. He tells him to go AWOL, and he goes into hiding. Then he goes missing. Well, come to find out, months later, his body was discovered in a cemetery. So how this case was finally solved was straight from the mouth of Ed Edwards himself. And this is the case that gets him the death penalty. This is what he's always wanted. He's always wanted it. So he explains that he lured him out because he had an insurance policy on him. If he was medically discharged, it wouldn't be as great of a reward. So... Ed Edwards shoots Danny Boy in the back of the head with a shotgun. 
You know, the family knew Edwards had issues. You know, because like I said, he had a troubled past. He grew up in an orphanage where he claimed he'd been abused. Uh, he'd, been, he'd been dishonorably discharged from the army. And, you know, eventually turned to a life of crime. And, you know, he was spent time in prison for arson rob and robbing gas stations. And, you know, like I said, it was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list for a robbery charge in 61. But, you know, he claimed by the time, you know, I think he got married and he turned everything around. Wrote the book, best-selling book, Metamorphosis of a Criminal. You know, touring colleges, churches, speaking to crowds. Uh, he was on the game show to tell the truth. Uh, always gracious to neighbors and friends. Uh... He integrated himself into law enforcement, whether that being a case of he wanted to be close to crimes he'd committed. Because, you know, April tells a story that, you know, behind closed doors, a dark side came out. See, he always helped law enforcement with certain criminals in the area. And I think that was to keep himself close to the action because there's no doubt in my mind that he has many more murders out there. April always made the comments, too, you know, behind closed doors. April says that her father's dark side would come out. He was abusive at times, verbally, physically. Uh, you know, multiple times he'd put the, their mother in the hospital. He was obsessed with murder. So, you know, he was subscribing to detective magazines, clipping newspaper articles about all the local crimes. And one thing that stands out to me that he would often make the kids watch videos about the infamous Zodiac Killer who, you know, terrorized Northern California from, I don't know, 60s to the 70s, murdered at least five victims, claiming to have killed 37. And Miss April Blasco claims that he, they would be watching the TV and certain things would come up. He'd be like, no, I didn't how it was done. That's not, so could Ed Edwards be the Zodiac killer? She always had suspicion. And who knows? But you know, these crimes were brought to light because of her calling, because of them finding Ed Edwards, matching the DNA from the 1980s, and convicting him on, or getting you know, enough evidence to convict him on the sweetheart murders. Otherwise, he would have never confessed, and we would have not known about these other crimes. You know, when he was charged with Timothy Hack Kelly Drew's murder, you know, like I said, once he's in custody, he started confessing to, you know, killing the teens in 77. Um, you know, Billy Levico, Judas, Judy Straub, uh, Norton, Ohio in 77. Uh, killed him with a shotgun blast to the neck. Um, and then, of course, he needed to get the death penalty. So he went into more detail about him killing his own son, basically, Danny Boy Edwards. The 25 uh, orphan, poor orphan boy, you know, been adopted by Edwards, and uh, that's that's just sad. That, that's sad. And this was in the woods in 1996 in Troy, Ohio. So he spent a lot of time in Ohio. Uh, and what did he kill him for? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars in life insurance payout. You know, Donnie goes missing. They find Don, Danny Boy's uh, body about four months after he went missing, just in the shallow grave, about a mile away from the uh, Edwards family home. And I'm sure April was just sickened by each of these confessions, you know, just, and it's stated that she was just flooded with memories of her childhood that was connected to her father's crimes. You know, she was eight years old, I think in the third grade, when Lovico and Straub were killed. And, you know, there's an image of the park where the murders occurred. It came back to her clearly, she says. She, and she, quote, my quote, my dad took us 
and the kid took us kids and my mom a walk through that very park. He took us through the weeds, and she remembers him shouting something to, to the mother about the next thing I knew, there were ambulances and sirens everywhere. He had taken the kids with him and discovered the bodies of the 77 victims. Now, once her father's arrested and keeps confessing to some of these murders, she never spoke to him again. Uh, he got life in prison for the two of the murders and having received the death penalty for Danny Boy's killing. Of course, he died uh, at the age of 77 in Columbus, Ohio, April the 7th, 2011, basically from complications of diabetes. And, of course, investigators think Edwards could be responsible for many, many unsolved murders across the country. And, uh, I mean, he's definitely capable of it. Definitely capable for doing it. And, you know, a lot of credit and all the credit really needs to go to April. And a lot of the police officers are just so thankful that she made that call and got that ball rolling to give these families closure and to help them, you know. And the timeline of Edwards, it's interesting. You know, you know good and well that everywhere he lived, he killed somebody. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So looking into that is something that April done in a podcast. And it's a good podcast. I've listened to every episode of it. Um, but basically, you know, she solved the 30-year-old crime by calling in on her dad, which I'm sure was tough, you know. But uh, Ed Edwards was a dangerous man. All this time, he was never rehabilitated. He's a sociopath, a psychopath, has no emotion, doesn't care. And you best believe that this man has killed more than five people. How many people has Ed Edwards killed? Is he one of the most prolific serial killers in American history? I don't know. But I'll bet you this. I know for a fact Ed Edwards has killed more than five. And he might even be the Zodiac. This is The Weekly Podcast. No doubt about it, guys, that April Blasco, the da oldest daughter of Edward Wayne Edwards, is a, is a true hero. I'm impressed, and I just want to make sure that she knows that from this podcast, and myself personally, I think she's an amazing human being, just an amazing person, strong, smart, dedicated, just, just want to say thank you. I want to let you know that I think what you done was very strong and very amazing. And uh, just want to make sure that you know where we stand over here at Dove Weekly Podcast is that you're one of the best people on God's green earth. So that's it on Ed Edwards. You know, there's a lot. A person can dig a little bit more into Edwards. And, you know, this is kind of just the, the roundabout story of how a 30-year-old murder was solved by the memories of a daughter and DNA, and then how three more murders were uncovered because of it. So that's it. Um, 
You know, I know last week we kind of done a little bit something different on 10 principles of uh, sales excellence. And I'm in sales. We're trying to do an advertising company, uh, marketing, YAMS. You look us up on Facebook. We have a page, Y-A-M-S, which stands for Your Advertising Marketing Solutions. We also have a brand of dog treats. It's called Beach Creek All Natural Dog Treats. Look us up on Facebook, like that page. Um, if you would like to do any kind of advertising on our podcast, please reach out to us right now on a 30-second promotion on the podcast. It is each episode is $8. If you're interested, let us know. Of course, if you want to help us, you can go into the show notes and donate to the show through Anchor. Anchor is amazing. Uh, I edit and di distribute this podcast through Anchor. It is a one-man show. I record this out of my closet with an iPhone 6 and a microphone clipped to the top of my bookcase. So hopefully we can grow. I enjoy it. I really want to tell stories. I want to be able to get better at telling these stories. I know we, I don't want to, you know, I worry so much about, you've got victims, you've got victims' families, you've got perpetrators, you've got perpetrators' families. I don't want to hurt or, or be, in, you know, harsh, but you've got to be entertaining as well for people to want to listen to these stories. And so maybe I'm going to try to take, just tell the story how, how I feel, you know, maybe somebody wants to hear it, and if you don't like it, I don't care, I do care, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, what makes a podcast entertaining? What makes somebody want to listen? I mean, do you want to... I mean, think about if you had to do a fucking politics podcast. Jesus, who wants to sit... I mean, I love my country. And I'm, I'm, I've am i already said a hundred thousand times I would not get into the politics because it's so polarizing right now that I could say one thing that you, you know, maybe you don't agree with and it's like, oh my God, crucify him. And it goes both ways. Quit being so polarizing. I mean, what the fuck ever happened to, if, oh, I disagree with you. Oh, you're wrong. Oh, I agree with you on that. That's okay. But it's not that way. It's if it's one little fucking thing, it's, oh, off with your head. And we're never going to get anywhere by doing that. Never. You better start finding some common ground with your fucking neighbor before this country goes to shit. It's already to shit. It's going to get even worse. But I hope it don't. And I'm not, I, I hate these emotional type of politics shit. I really do. I swear to God. It's almost sickening. I can't even watch the news. I don't even want, I don't want your opinion on the news. Just give me the fucking facts. Excuse my language. This is my rant of the evening. Don't give me your fucking opinion. Don't, I don't want to hear it. It's, if it's something that's going on, give me the facts of what's going on. And this impeachment shit, I will say this, it's retarded. It's a waste of fucking time. Joe Biden's in. Let Biden do his thing. Why in the hell would we want to waste the time? All they're trying to do is to keep Trump from running again. I don't think they've got the constitutional right to impeach an unseated president. The man's a, a damn... Donald Trump is a citizen. He's not the president. He's not a sitting president. He's a normal, everyday citizen. So let it go. Move on. Give, let Joe Biden at least have a chance. I, I support Joe Biden. Joe Biden is my president. I'm not going to say whether or not I voted for him, but he's my president. Actually, I didn't vote at all, so kiss my ass. 
and you know people were talking about Donald Trump this I mean Donald Trump before he was elected in was was not a conservative by no means but people here's all I'm saying this is my advice to you as a collective country I think it's bad business to want your president to do bad whether it be Joe Biden or Donald Trump or George Bush Bill Clinton Richard Nixon Gerald Ford uh, George Washington, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Lincoln, whoever, Jackson. It's your president, and it's not my president. My, I don't go with that shit. If I if I disagree with Joe Biden, I say I disagree with Joe Biden. If Joe Biden does something I agree with, I agree with Joe Biden. But I'm going to support my country, and I'm going to support my president. I just think it's dangerous to not my president movements. That's just a rant. Just a rant, man. It's not political. Just a rant. I want this country to do good. I want the, everybody to do good. I want everybody to be treated fairly. I want everybody to be treated with respect and everybody to have the constitutional rights that are protected by the Constitution, given to us by God. You know? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Everybody should have that. No matter of color, race, religion, any of that. The freedom of speech. This is America. The very speech that you hate should be the very speech you'd want to fucking protect. Jesus. I mean, wait till you. Okay, let's say you. Oh, oh yeah, you know that's hate speech. What? What's the definition of hate speech? I'm not. I'm not willing to give that that power to a government to, to let them decide what is hate speech and dictate it. I'm telling you. You, ver you better stand for free speech. And what I mean by free speech, here's the best example. Take the most raunchy, nasty, disgusting thing that you disagree with and you better stand for whoever's saying it because the very speech you hate and the very speech you despise better be the very free speech you stand for whoever's saying it. Free speech is the very foundation of this country with the foundations with the freedoms of religion, to practice your religion however, whenever, and to have those abilities of, of uh, free press, and, and, and it's just important. You cannot start trampling on speech. I'm not saying, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not saying that, you know, somebody can come out and say, hey, Billy Jack, I need to get 15 people together, go down there and kill some. You're missing my point. And yes, you can nitpick anything to death, and you can this, you can that, but it's just dangerous. It's dangerous. And then we can agree to disagree. No one... Just stop. Just remember, before it gets too far down the road... Just remember that the very speech you don't want to hear is the, prob is, is the very speech you need to stand for. Because wait till they come for, you know, you might be on the right side of it now, but wait till they start coming and wait till they're wanting to shut you up for something you want to. I mean, it's just dangerous. And I'm, I'm just, I'm goofing off with, with saying that, but it, it could be that, that, it could be that way. If they inch it a little bit at a time. It's not I take it all at once, I promise. So, and no, I, I don't own a gun. I personally don't want one. That's my thing. 
I'm not going to get into gun control. I don't think re idiots need guns, but I don't think that there needs to be law. I mean, there needs to be certain laws in place, but you know, every time there's a shooting of some kind, you always hear about gun control. And you know, at the end of the day, it's always been illegal and probably one of the most severe punishments attached to it, illegal to murder someone. So if a person's willing to take a gun and go murder someone, um, then they're probably going to be willing to break a couple of extra rules to get their hands on a gun. Just, you know, laws are only good for those that obey them. Some maybe think about that, you know, you can let you, you can legislate everything you want and make laws coming at your ass, but if someone's willing to break the law and actually murder 15, 20 people, you can best bet that they don't give a shit what kind of fucking law you have on a gun. I mean, maybe you say take them all away, whatever. Who knows? Who knows the right combination? I know there's 300 and some odd million people in the United States. And um, I know that we have 50 individual states that stand collectively as a combined unit of a united, 50 United States. But each state has its own right to do certain things. So it's always difficult to get with America being the way it's set up. Land of the free, home of the brave. Whoever's in that White House, try to support them best you can. I hope, all I'm saying at the end of the day, what you take from this is I would love to see a more united America. I hate to see everything so polarized and so polar opposite. Find someone you disagree with and shake their hand or give them an elbow bump or put, them, put a mask on, give them a hug, and find something you agree on. It might take you a minute. Maybe you punch each other two or three times. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, anyway, everything's fucked. We're going. It's all going to hell, so don't worry about it. It's all. It might already be there. COVID's running crazy. And I mean, what's this vaccine? Is that even going to work? Does the flu vaccine work good? I think they said, what, like a 40% chance? But then there's like a 95. Who knows, man? You going to take the vaccine? I signed up to take it. I don't know when they're going to give it to me. I'm 43, so I'm probably I'm somewhere in the middle, maybe. But let's get along, man. Let's get along. I want everybody to listen to my podcast. There's no way in hell I'd want to alienate 50% of the, the country. Why would I want to do that? I want everybody to listen. Every, the, you, as Americans, you have more in common than what you think. Let's try to find it. Love y'all. This is Dove Weekly Podcast.